Thank you, everyone, for, for letting me be here with you. So we're going to go this way. Uh, real quick, this is my, uh, this is my family. Uh, I am blessed to have... So this was taken in New York. We went to New York uh, last summer uh, at the most important place in New York that you can go visit, which is, of course, the Ice Cream Museum, right? You get three ice cream cones on the tour. I highly recommend. Anyway, I am married to um, Beth, uh, maiden name Kelpine. She's actually at the MLC table right now, willing to give you prizes and, 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 and goodies. Um, like I said, her maiden name's Kelpine, so if you know some of the Wells royalty, like Arnie Kelpine was a professor at Dr. Martin Luther College and, and Martin Luther College for many years. Her brother Paul is a professor there. Um, I had Paul for class when I went there while I was dating his sister, and my friends didn't make that awkward at all. That went really well. That was beautiful. Um, I've got uh, Anastasia is my oldest, and Zoe is my second. So Anastasia means resurrection. Zoe means life. So I've got the resurrection and the life, which is kind of fun. Sophomore and freshman at MLC. Isaiah is our only boy. He's a junior at prep. He will make a wonderful husband one day. Um, Dahlia is very nice. She can be very, very nice. Um, her name is the one that you hear screamed more than any other name in a different room, you know, like, because she can, she can get under the skin of some of her siblings. Um, and then Evie, uh, she is just our little peanut. She's sixth grade, very small, um, but what she lacks in size, she makes up for in outgoingness. So you have the introvert to extrovert spectrum, and then Evie is up here somewhere. So when we went to New York, of course, they wanted to go on a subway ride. So we went on the subway, and it's a captive audience for Evie, which is beautiful. They can't go anywhere. You know, nobody says anything. They're all looking down, and, and Evie's just working the car. Like, hi, I'm Evie. I'm in sixth grade. What's your name? What do you do? Like, and there's Nika, her baby. She's wonderful. Fourth grade. Um, I'm from a big family. I'm number uh, seven of 14, so I guess I'm the troubled middle child. Uh, I've got over 50 nephews and nieces. Um, I have no idea what the number actually is. I didn't count today. Um, it, it's always like 54 going on 57 or something like that. Um, as, uh, as was mentioned, I served in Manuel in Greenville, Wisconsin, just outside of Appleton for 11 years. I'm uh, in my seventh year at Martin Luther College, and it is a thrill to be here with you today. So let's jump into the material here, the intro activity, where are the leaders? Um, partner up or, or just with the people at your table, list as many reasons as you can people give for not serving, share any unique ones you've heard or used, uh, and then discuss the agree-disagree question, the church is a volunteer-run organization. Go ahead and take, uh, I'll give you two minutes, go. All right, let's uh, bring it back together. By the way, I, um, I should have asked, does everybody have a handout? I have more up here if you need some. Seems like everybody does, um, and there are more there. Uh, I like to usually wander, but I feel kind of tied to this. Like, how well can you hear my voice? If I talk like that, I can. All right, here we go. I'm back here. Going to be a podium presenter today. Um, all right, so what did you come up with? What are the reasons people give? Sorry, Pastor, I'd love to serve, but I am too busy. That is a very common one. It's somebody else's turn. Oh, man, I ran into that a lot. Like, well, I kind of put in my time, and now somebody else needs to step up and, and lead. Yeah, good. Any others? Not qualified. Not qualified. And, and that's one of the, one of the biggies, too. Um, when you feel not qualified, it usually means that there's not proper training in place. Um, or, or if there is proper training in place, you can answer that one pretty quickly. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll train you. Good. Any other 
ones that you came up with? Health, I don't know what to say, um, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, or maybe, maybe I, volu I, I volunteered, I was a leader in the past, and I felt completely lost. I had a bad experience, um, and now I'm burned. I don't want to do it again. Um, these are some of the things hopefully we're going to be talking about today. Uh, they agree, disagree, the church is a volunteer-run organization. What'd you guys say? Somebody said yes and no. Isn't that a good agree-disagree question? You could agree. <laughs> Or disagree. So why why would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in in theory, it should be a volunteer-run organization, right? If you're if you're going to multiply ministry, you can only get done what one person can get done if you're one person, right? And so. In theory, yes, we would love for there to be a ton of people um, who, are, who are in leadership positions, volunteering, getting, getting that work done. Leaders are really equippers, and, and then everybody else is, is doing, right? Uh, whereas very often it falls into the leaders end up being the doers. Um, and, that, and that's what we want to kind of work against. Have you heard the, the one about the similarity between many churches and a pro football game? Have you heard this? There are 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and thousands on the sidelines in desperate need of exercise, right? Um, kind of, sometimes that feels that way in a church, right? Just a, a very small few doing the things and everybody else kind of standing around. Um, this is, <laughs> I just think it's, obviously we don't want to have um, overly idealistic hopes. Uh, Clayton Kramer, abandon all hopes of utopia. There are people involved. Um, he is not a theologian, by the way. He's a gun rights advocate. I just like the quote. Um, the, the, the quote itself, yes, true. Um, ministry with, with sinners is going to be messy at times. Um, and yet, uh, we have the promises of God. If you look at the, the next section there, um, motivation matters. Um, this is something that sets us apart from the, from the business world. Uh, just looking at the passages, always remembering why we do what we do. So Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I always think of like those big, oversized, goofy glasses, you know, with a cross on them, right? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So you really think about that, that picture, um, the, the burnt offering. Uh, I, I had a conversation a bit ago with um, a friend of mine. He's, he's an atheist. Uh, and I'm working on that, but he, uh, he actually says, I, I, I talk to you because you don't try to convert me. Like, I don't talk to Christians, but I talk to you because you don't try to convert me. I tricked him. I'm, I'm trying to convert him. Um, but it was interesting. He, he would, he's flabbergasted by my life. Like, you know, he, he'll ask me about, you know, like, do you really give offerings? And then I tell him about my approach to, you know, financial stewardship and, and he's like, I mean, he just kind of laughs, and then, like, he hears, you know, y y the servant or the schedule of of, of somebody who is um, who is a called worker, and then you know also the synod things, and also you know whatever. And and he's like, when do you ever have time for yourself? And um, and you just kind of going down the list, and and he kind of concluded with, you don't think about things the way other people do, do you? Um, and, and as Christian leaders, no, we, we don't think about things the way other people do. Um, explore the picture. So if your whole body, your whole life is, is a living sacrifice. So let's go to worship. You, you, you bring your kids with you, and, um, and there are tears 
in some of the kids' eyes as you're leading away the best little lamb in your flock and, um, and, and you're trying to console them, but you take it to the priest and he inspects this, this little lamb and there's no, no damage on it. It's, it's, it's a good lamb, it'll do. And so then um, the next part, you, you, you place your hands on the head of the lamb and as you do that, you think about the sacrifice that, that, that God is going to make for, for you and your kids and your family. Um, making the next step pretty easy, almost effortless. Your, your hand slides across the, um, the, the lamb's throat with a knife and, and you watch as the, the, the white wool turns red with blood. You've done your part. And then the priest takes, takes a bowl and he catches some of the blood and then, and then he goes up to the altar and he, he sprinkles some of the blood across the altar and then you watch as your little lamb is burned completely. Um, and you, you smell the burnt hair and flesh of the lamb, um, and it is going to be burned completely. In fact, they're going to keep the fire keep going all, all night to make sure that it is burnt to a crisp. What did you just do? You just made a burnt offering. And the craziest thing about a burnt offering is you didn't have to do it. God never demanded it. He never said you had to. There was no sin propitiation in that offering. It's just simply thanks, right? Um, you don't think about things the way other people do, do you? And that's a, that's a good thing because we're doing this in view of God's mercy. You look at 2 Corinthians 4. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So what motivates Christ's love? Christ's love compels us. What is that? Um, sometimes when you're, when you're talking to people who do not um, have a church home, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're uh, struggling with whether God really exists or not, and they, they say something along the lines of, and I know many of you have heard it, um, I can't believe in a God that would send someone to hell. And then you could say back, well, actually I believe that hell um, is one of the greatest proofs of God's love. Why? Because he suffered it for me. And so now I want to do something in proportion to what somebody does for me. So if, if I'm, if I'm uh, mailing a letter and I need a stamp, I have no idea what a stamp costs anymore. Is that like 55 cents, something like that? All right, and you are nice enough and you, you buy me a, I have no idea, but we'll say it's 55 cents. You buy me a stamp, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond in proportion to that kindness. That was really nice of you. I'm going to shake your hand. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, if you step it up a little bit um, and you pay off my mortgage, I'll kiss your feet. I'm just going to wait here for any takers. I will prove that I will do this. No? Okay. Um, but then, if you step it up even more and you suffer hell in my place, there is nothing I wouldn't do for you, right? And, and, and I love how, um, <laughs> how the passage says it. Uh, Greek apparently has the same thing we have in English where you say, you know, I don't have to, but I have to. You know, you know what I mean by that, right? That's not like a force thing. I don't have to, but I just have to. Christ's love compels us. Why? Because I need to say thank you. C.S. Lewis said a good work isn't complete unless it's thanked. And he's absolutely right. If you've ever had anyone do something for you anonymously, it drives you nuts. Um, I've, I've, um, I was presenting on the West Coast somewhere. We had a big snowstorm. I got in at like 2 in the morning and there was going to be a foot of snow waiting for me, and I had to teach at like 8 in the morning, and I knew I had to clear the snow. And when I got home, it was all cleared. And I didn't know who did it. 
And it drove me nuts. So I said to my brother, Nate, who I thought probably did it, I'm like, Nate, did you clear my snow? And he said, no, I didn't. I'm like, oh. So I went around that whole week asking everybody I could think of. And then finally, I circle back to Nate, and he goes, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you But I, need, I needed to say thank you. It's like um, that idea of thank you notes. You're not paying for anything, right? Um, you're, you're just you're expressing something that you need to express. Um, my mom, queen of thank you notes, she, um, I, I got a gift from her. I wrote her a thank you note because I knew she would love it. Davy boy, she still calls me that. Um, and she writes me back, dear Davy boy, thank you so much for your thank you note. <laughs> and so as a joke, I wrote a thank you thanking her for my thank you. And, um, and then she wrote one back. And the thing is, and I said you win, but the thing is she meant it, right? She, she needed to do it. This is why we do what we do. Um, people, people in law enforcement, they, how, do they get, how do they get you to listen? How do they get you to do something? It's, it's all force, right? Um, you know, when, it, when I'm driving along and a policeman wants me to pull over, he doesn't like go on the loudspeaker and go, hey Dave, you're looking good today. Like, what do you think, you wanna talk? Like, no, he's not trying to win me over. I pull over because I don't want to get in trouble, right? It's, it's all force. Um, whereas, well, I was going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you a story. I'm going to keep moving on, on this one. But it's all about motivation. And avoid the motivation pitfall of, um, and maybe you've, maybe you've had this in church, like you should be doing this, like kind of a guilt-driven thing or the desperation-driven thing, like we need um, this, we need you to do this instead of, um, instead of just the, the, the total gospel motivation. You've got God's promises. So 2 Corinthians 3, um, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And so reminding people that the, of the one who is with you, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called, right? Um, the next passage where Jesus says, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. You'll be given what to say. And of course, that's a promise to the disciples when he sent them out by implication, though we have the same the same beautiful truth um, when Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, oftentimes God equips you and you don't even realize that you were necessarily equipped, right? We, when, when I was uh, in sec my second year of ministry, we had um, a vacancy and I, I got a guest preacher. Uh, we had a Thursday night service. And uh, so I was feeling really good, very calm. I wasn't preaching. I was greeting. I was just joking around with the ushers. I had opened up the church just waiting for the guest preacher to get there so I could go home and grill out. And, um, and it was 6.41, always remember that, guest preacher calls and he goes, oh, hey Dave, um, sorry man, can't make it. Like, are you kidding me? So, contrary to popular opinion, you cannot write a sermon in 19 minutes. So, I did not try. Um, I just kept greeting people, you know, started the service, got through the liturgy part, that's easy enough, um, which, thank you for the liturgy, right? Like, like, I could get through that. I get up to preach. And my advice to you is if you have to preach a sermon and you don't have one prepared, make it short. So I preached for probably, I don't know, 12-ish minutes, something like that. And then I got done with the service, feeling big relief. I'm greeting people on the way out. And every congregation, and any pastor knows this, every congregation, I'm convinced, is planted with these dear, sweet people who will, when you bomb, and pastors know when they bomb, when you bomb and you have like flop sweats, that's how bad it was, they will still come up to you and they'll say, good sermon, pastor. Like, I know what you're doing. I don't need your pity, thanks. But this lady comes out, and I don't think it was that. She, she took my hand in both of hers, 
And, um, and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, thank you so much, Pastor. That's exactly what I needed to hear today. And I went, really? Wow, that's awesome. What did I say? Because I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. No. God, the, the, remind them of the one who's with them, right? Matthew 16, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Remember what side you're on, right? The, the, the fact that gates, gates of Hades, gates are not offensive weapons. Last time I checked, those are defensive, right? Um, who's on the attack? You are with the gospel, right? You have the, the power of God. You have the presence of Jesus. You have the motivation of his cross. And then Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Um, a greater imagination I have there. Uh, Paul just talked about how he's praying for their strength, he's praying for their knowledge that they might know the four-dimensional love of Jesus. We think of things in three dimensions. Paul says, no, God loves even better than that. He's got four dimensions, right? Um, and, and he can do more than you can possibly imagine. Uh, I think of how true that is even when you're going through difficult things. Um, you know, think of Joseph, sold into slavery, lied about, thrown into jail, languishing in jail. Um, he couldn't possibly have known what God was doing. Um, he figured it out by chapter 50, right, um, that God was doing this for good, right, that, that he was feeding the whole world, including child number four, Judah, right, who would be the line of the Savior, right? And, and so, um, again, greater than we, we can even see happening in front of us. So um, that's the motivation. Motivation does matter. By the way, if you want to know something fun, it works now. Just all of a sudden it started working. All right, the why matters. Look at, um, look at the volunteer request. Volunteers needed. We need volunteers to help with Vacation Bible School. Last year we, um, uh, we didn't have enough volunteers, and we want to make this year better. If you're interested in helping, sign up on the sheets on the Information Center in the back of church. Okay, evaluate that request. All right, what did you notice about the request? Negative, yeah, like just starts off with, we need volunteers. Um, so maybe communicates a scarcity mentality, right? Um, not, not opportunities to serve, but we need you, right? Um, all right, uh, I, I like, last year we didn't have enough volunteers for VBS. If you were a visitor um, and things were gonna be like they were last year, would you send your kid? You know, you're just picturing your kid running across the freeway or something like that, because they didn't have enough. Um, if you're interested in helping, again, uh, for, for leadership, what are you going to do? What, what, what do you want them to do? Uh, you, you have to make that plain so they can evaluate it. Uh, and then the sign-up sheets, very impersonal. Uh, I, if you've ever seen this, um, this bullseye, this uh, from a TED Talk by uh, Simon Sinek, if you've, if you've seen that one, um, I think it's a, a, great, a great point that very often when, when we operate, we start on the outside with what, and we go in to the why and end with the why, whereas he would say, and I, I think this is also biblical, um, you start with the why and then you get to the what, which is why we started where we started. Um, he's, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day yesterday, right? He, he would say, um, why was Martin Luther King Jr. such a great orator? There were other orators with very similar viewpoints and yet we know him, right? And he would say it's because he said, I have a dream, not I have a plan. Um, he talks about uh, Apple, Apple computer. And this, by the way, he's going to prove his, his point is proven by the reaction. I'm going to get to this next statement, the visceral reaction. Um, 
Why is Apple thought of as such a, an innovative, great computer company? They're just like any other computer company. There are other computers that work. And any Apple people out there are going, no, that's not true. Um, no, but I mean, I'm not going to debate, get in that debate. I'm just going to say how they operate. So other computer companies would say, would say, hey, we make great computers. That's the what, the how. They're well designed and user friendly. The why, like, well, never really get to the why. Just do you want to buy one? You need a computer. Um, whereas Apple would flip it around, start with the why, and act like a very cool company and say, we believe in thinking differently and challenging the status quo. Kind of like you want to be on this team, right? Um, and then they get to the how. We have our computers are well designed and user friendly. Um, and then the what? Do you want to buy one, right? The, um, starting with the why. They won't buy what you're selling unless they buy why you're selling it, right? So the, um, Jesus and Paul are masters of this. If you look at those passages, we're not going to look them up. But um, like the, the Luke passage, the fields are ripe for harvest, Jesus says. The why, right? Now go. Um, or, or all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm in control of everything. Therefore, go and make disciples, right? Paul, um, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, look at who you are. This is the why. Um, now do these things, right? Um, so the, the last part there, what is your culture? Three keys to creating a successful leadership culture. I just read um, the, the culture code, and really that book is boiled down to these three things. And as I was reading it, yes, there are wonderful practical ideas of how you create that culture. It's more in a business, you know, it's in, in a business realm. Um, but these are what he identifies as the three main things. You want to build safety, so create belonging and identity. You want to share vulnerability, mutual risk drives, trusting cooperation. And then you want to establish purpose, shared goals and values. That's probably really tough to do in a business world. Don't we have the leg up in, in, in inside of the church, right? Uh, building safety, creating belonging and identity. We have a shared identity in Christ. There's no rank. There's, there's no, no reason to be um, uh, afraid or nervous of anybody else or, or their viewpoints. We have a shared identity in Christ, which means we're, we're at the same time sinners, and yet we are all saved by grace through Jesus. Shared vulnerability, that mutual risk. Um, we have... We have Christ-like love, right? Um, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, true agape love is bending over backwards to do what's best for someone else. Is that going to create shared vulnerability? Absolutely. Establishing purpose, shared goals and values. We have the Great Commission, right? Grow, grow in the Word and go with the Word. Um, and, and so, again, you, you've got a little bit of a leg up in, in establishing the why. All right. If you get nothing out of this, um, this, was, this was a Barna poll um, just this past year. And pastors were asked uh, to list their primary concerns for the church. So they got to pick multiple. I don't know how many, if they picked three or something like that. What percentage of the pastors picked the following among their top concerns? Put the numbers where they belong. So those are all the numbers, 23, 28, 33, 34, 36, 50, and 51. And you just put them where you think they belong. Ready, set, go. All right? Who wants to be brave? Who's going to be brave? You're going to be brave? Okay, go ahead. Real, real nice and loud. Use your preaching voice. Well, well, just list them down in order. What do you think? 28, 34, 50, 33, 36, 51, 23. Wow. You got all of them wrong except for the most important one. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. 
<laughs> I'm like, I, was, I wanted to be able to say after you were done, like, you got none of them right. But you got like the most important one. You got, you got the point of it. All right, here it is. I just put it in order. Write down. And, and really, it makes a lot of sense reaching in a younger audience, uh, declining outreach and evangelism, declining volunteering, stagnating spiritual growth. What's interesting is that the, the, the one that came in last place, lack of leadership training and development, if you have that, if you're concerned with that, what gets better? All the rest, right? Yeah, so, um, and I just put matters in there because every other title had matters in it, so. And it does, a chance to win fabulous prizes. So, um, understanding leadership goals matters. So, the, think about how Paul compares the church to a body in 1 Corinthians 12. List all the points Paul is trying to make by comparing the church to a body. What is he, what are, what are, his, what are his points that he's making? Okay, we all have different gifts, right? We're, um, we're not all eyes, right? We'd be a freak if we were just one big eyeball, right? No, we all have, all have different gifts. Very good. What else? Everybody needs everybody else. Everybody needs everybody else, and um, I'm, not willing, I'm not willing to sacrifice any part of the body because I need, I need it all. Um, if you think like the pinky toenail, maybe you're the pinky toenail, and you think that's not very important, well, I think it is important. Proof would be if you rip your pinky toenail off, you realize how important it is, right? Or, I'm sorry, I see my brother Matt back there. <laughs> sorry, brother. Um, Matt, you may not know this, Matt has a unique foot. He has, is it three toes? <laughs> would you show us all? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he's got, what's that? <laughs> brother, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as, it's, actually, it's actually fun. Um, the, the ones he lost, the doctor said, it's really not going to affect you much. You just can't be a foot model anymore. Yeah, but, um, but no, we, we wouldn't want to sacrifice any, any parts. Um, any, any other things? I think there's a big one for me, and it's the idea of just that there doesn't have to be any jealousy because we're all the same body, right? Um, I don't have to be jealous of your gift because it's mine. <laughs> We're part of the same body, right? So, I, so, sorry, I'll pick on John Bauer right behind. John, you crushed it yesterday. Like, am I a little jealous? Absolutely not, because that was my presentation too. That was, <laughs> I get to take credit for that. Um, no, it's like in, in the pit, you know, like a, a pitcher throws a no-hitter. What, what does the story on the internet say? Does it say, pitcher's right arm wins the day? No, right? The whole person um, gets the credit. There's no need for jealousy. Um, not, not every gift is glamorous. That's true. Maybe you think you're the appendix and, and you, don't, you don't know what purpose you serve. It will be revealed in time. I, I don't know, um, but all I know is that every part um, is useful. And, um, and finally, when, when Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, which tells you something about the gifts and your leaders. Um, and maybe if they think they don't have them, you can gain and learn gifts. Uh, it's one of the reasons why in Little League, do you sign up for a position? When I signed my son up for Little League, do I, did I sign him up? What, what, did it, what does every kid want to be? If, if you were allowed to sign up, every kid's going to be the pitcher, right? Um, you can't have that. So what do they do in Little League? They try you out at all the positions, and then they figure out which one you're good at, right? Um, and, and there's
there could be some of, or there needs to be some of that in God's church too, um, that, that we, we can gain and learn gifts um, as we try those things out. Look at Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So how does this scripture describe the work of the pastor? To equip, right? Not, not to do, to equip, right? God's people for works of service. Is that usually the way Wells members view the work of the pastor? No. Um, if not, how do they usually view the work of the pastor? My favorite line uh, when I got into parish ministry, because I was trying to encourage, you know, raising up leaders and, and multiplying ministry and that kind of thing, was, oh, no, pastor. Like, they would say it in all seriousness, like, oh, no, pastor, that's why we called you, so that you could do that for us. Um, no, that, that needs to be, that need, thinking needs to be turned around. List some of the things a pastor would have to do to equip his people for works of service. What do you think? Yeah. All right, you do have to say no. Um, and sometimes, depending on what it is, obviously, like, understand this correctly, depending on what it is, it might mean something stops for a bit. Um, yep, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, be willing to delegate, um, be willing to, to let go and let other people do it. And, and sometimes you'll hear, oh, it's just easier if I do it by myself. And that may seem true, but understand that in the long run, it is not easier, right? Or, but I can do it better than that person. Well, if you're the pastor, well, of course you can because you've been trained and have had experience in it. Um, I think about uh, at Emmanuel, I went on a home visit and um, I had this, this wonderful gentleman named Dave, great name. Um, he, he said, you know what I would love to do? I would love to go on outreach calls, which is kind of a rare thing. But I'm like, that is, that is great. And so I took him on some outreach calls. And, um, and honestly, I mean, I love Dave. And one of the things about Dave is no one can hate him. Like, you can't not love, love, love him. He is just, he's like five foot two or something. And he is just the kindest, most evangelically minded man ever. But he wasn't that good at first. He really wasn't, you know? Um, but as we kept going and kept going, Dave is probably one of the greatest evangelists I know um, because you need to let them go, right? You need to let them have that experience. Um, and the amount of contacts I had for gospel proclamation through him is amazing just, just because you let go. All right, what else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it does take a long time. Uh, and, and in leadership development, uh, you, you need to spend the time. If you don't spend the time, um, you're not going to have leaders. And you might go, but I'm so busy. Well, then you got to figure out how to not be as busy. And I know, busy. Like, we're all very, very busy. But this is important. It's kind of like that, that chart where, well, i, I got to work on how to increase Bible class attendance and, and more outreach calls and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually... If you put your eggs into the basket of leadership development, um, those things will, will happen. Yeah, go ahead. Sometimes model those things that wouldn't ordinarily be your responsibility or necessarily need to be done by the pastor, but you can model some kind of 
Okay, yeah, modeling for, for others. Um, and it's okay if you're actually not great at everything, right? Uh, this sounds like a weird one, but I think this one's important. Uh, you can, being self-deprecating is okay every once in a while, like showing that you're not, don't try to be more than a clay jar, like that I have no chinks in my armor, I'm the perfect called worker, and I'm letting you help out with something. No, um, I'm, I'm a clay jar just like you are. We're gonna grow in this together. Um, I'm gonna model it for you for sure. Um, yeah, teaching, training. How about what does scripture say will be lacking if this is not a pastor's primary function? It's an interesting thought, and, and I, I don't know, other than reading it from scripture, I don't know that I would have thought, it, uh, thought of it on my own, but I think if you're in a parish, you know how true this is. What is lacking if the pastor's job is not equipping? Maturity, right? Um, the, what does it say? That, that they might um, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, pastors are the equippers, the, the people are the doers, the, the leaders are the equippers, the people are the doers. Um, Im imagine that you've got two pastors, Pastor A and Pastor B. Pastor A is just wonderfully gifted. He's a go-getter, um, but he's a doer. He just, he, he loves doing, and, and, uh, and he goes out there, he hits the streets, he's working all the all the contacts he has, whatever, and God blesses the church with 20 adult confirmands. Would that be a good, a good thing? Yeah, that's a great thing. Wonderful. What a blessing. And he just does that every year, and God consistently, you know, about 20 every single year. But then you've got Pastor B, who understands his work as an equipper, and he may not be as naturally gifted as Pastor A, but he goes out and, and he finds one, and then he equips that one, that your job is to bring another one, and another one, and another one every single year. Um, and those are also equipped to bring others to. At the end of 10 years, how many adult confirmants does Pastor A have? I made it easy, 200, right? Um, I should say the church, I'm not giving credit to the pastor, you know what I mean. But Pastor B, his church has, did you do the math? I think it's over 1,000, I think. I might need one more year to make it over 1,000. But um, the point is, equipping, right? That, that is what God wants us to do. Um, in, in his church. All right, so let's go to the, the next part. Recruit, train, and retain matters. Uh, below are 20 ideas on how to recruit, train, and retain leaders. Um, at your table, I'm going to give you five minutes to discuss what you feel are the five most important ideas for your ministry setting and why. Rank them one to five. Feel free to ask me questions for clarification, then we'll come together to discuss um, maybe, maybe uh, a couple that I'll highlight before you start discussing would be, um, look at number seven, assimilation workshop. We called it, Where Am I at a Manual? Uh, so we'd start off with, this would, would be something that every member, if they haven't gone through it, would go through, but this was really for the Bible information class. Um, I never advertised this as part of the Bible information class. I would just spring this on them two weeks before the end of class, and then they would feel, you know, that, that, that then they knew they had to come. Um, but, no, it was a, a, actually a wonderful morning. We would, like, do the continental breakfast, like a really nice continental breakfast. We'd have tablecloths on the tables and flowers in the middle. Like, try to make it nice. But the catalog of ministries, uh, we would have a representative from basically every opportunity for leadership or service in our congregation there, and we held them to this. We had a stop, stopwatch, 45-second commercial, to tell them who they are, what they're about, how they get connected, how they, they could get involved. And then the whole rest of the day is providing the why, 
right? Um, Bible study on, on all those various topics. And then the last thing was one of the neatest things because it really intentionally made them focus on how can, or what can I do um, to bless others. So we would say blessed and blessing. So how have you been blessed by Emmanuel? And how do you want to be a blessing to others now as you're a part of this, this group of, of believers? Um, maybe another one to highlight would be number 17, detailed job descriptions for every position. So um, I, I developed job descriptions for all of, um, all of the positions we had, uh, especially of leadership positions, uh, providing the, the actual description, the what, the time commitment, how long, um, qualifications, so is this for you kind of thing, uh, resources, what we're giving you to carry out your job, um, leadership team contact person, so if you've got questions about this, here's somebody who's done it and can help you along, and then you can read the other things to consider, including in the description. And if you flip the page, um, we ended up going to uh, a leadership nomination form. Uh, we still had a nominating committee, they just functioned a little bit differently. So the, the um, we would send this out months before uh, it was time to elect congregational leaders, and we would say, who do you know that you think would be a great leader? And they would have an opportunity to fill out this form, say some nice things about the person. Instead of the nom com nominating committee just looking at the directory and going, circling names, and you know, um, I think it is a whole lot more effective when you can say to somebody who's being considered, um, you were nominated by one of your fellow members, they saw these gifts in you, would you be willing to consider um, serving in this way? As opposed to, you know, we've got this vacancy on the council and you're a warm body. Like, can we, can we count on you? Um, so anyway, this, this ended up being a huge blessing to us. Um, and that's the only one I'll talk about right now. So go ahead. Five minutes. Perfect. Go. Okay. Let's, uh, let's bring it together. So um, at your table, what did you identify as, we'll just say, an important one? And why? What do you think? Yeah, go ahead, John. One of the things at our table was that it, it is critical for whether you're a large congregation or a small congregation, these might be totally different from one another of what works in your setting. For sure. Which is why I just kind of threw a bunch of things out there. And all things I've tried, but, uh, but yeah, some work better than others, uh, depending on the setting. Any, any that you wanted to talk about at all? Yes, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's both and. I think still still thank them in the service. That's good. But um, what are other things you can do? Uh, like you said, write writing a writing a note, uh, writing an email goes a long way. Just even saying something one on one. Um, we used to actually budget. Uh, just, this sounds strange, but we used to budget gifts like for our, for our leaders and our, our volunteers. Like for my outreach team, uh, we had about, oh, about 20 people on the, on the team. Uh, and one year, 
I took them to, well, the church took them to um, the, the T-Rats game. We had, a, we had a minor league team in town, and we didn't just get the cheap seats. We got the all-you-can-eat seats. Like, we went all out. And that cost a total of, like, $400 or something. I mean, it was not, it was not a huge expense, but something that is, me- you know, memorable, and, and they appreciate it. Um, the other thing you can do uh, when, when it says celebrate service, so, you know, the idea is what gets rewarded gets, gets repeated. Um, in addition to the thank yous, uh, provide them with, with the resources they need to be excellent. Um, show them that you appreciate them in that way. It, it, it shows a lack of appreciation if you say, you know what, I want you to be the outreach chairman of the congregation. What's my budget? Well, zero. Doesn't cost anything to talk, right? Um, oh, come on. Like, that, that is going to be a discouragement rather than an encouragement. Good. Any other thoughts? Ones that you want to talk on? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, this is more stepping stone, is the idea I have in my mind. Um, most right away are not looking for a long-term commitment and countless meetings. I don't think, I don't think I'm looking for countless meetings, but, um, but give, them, give them tasks, right? Get them, get them into, into that path to see what's involved with what might be a leadership position in the future. Um, I think that's an important stepping stone. Um, can I, can I just, just because, well, I suppose I can because I'm up here, but number 10. I just want to ask them personally, keep asking, don't rely on sign-up sheets. Um, I think this is, this is huge. If, if a leader says to another person, I think you would be great at this, that is a powerful thing. Um, I also think it's a powerful thing, and I know this is maybe not the most popular opinion, but in some way, the home visits, I just found in my own ministry, the home visits being in their home, um, this is where most of the leaders came from. Uh, and, and being able to identify one-on-one what their gifts are, talk to them about that, and then, and then the fact that you were in their house and, and that now you're saying, I think you'd be great at this. Uh, boy, they, they just don't say no often, right? And especially if they know you're going to be there to hold their hand. I would say even if you've done the home visits, you go to the doctor once a year or maybe once a decade, I don't know. Um, but what, like you get a checkup, right? Uh, maybe having a checkup with, with people, you know, scheduling a little 15-minute thing in your office. You don't have to go to their house necessarily. But anyway, somebody had their hand up. Yeah, go ahead. That, yeah, right, and that's, that's kind of, right, you should do that for your personal, but then I would say number 17 is really talking about here's what your brothers and sisters see in you, um, that they nominated you for this thing. Um, maybe one more, uh, number 11, just because this one was fairly unique, put time limits on service. We actually ended up going to one-year terms, which scared us incredibly when we started it. So, like, you're elected to the council for one year, and you can re-up. Um, you know, you can re-up and re-up and re-up. Um, but what are the blessings of putting a time limit on service? Even God had a Sabbath day, right? Um, that you, you, allow, you allow an out of some rest. People want to serve, maybe not till Jesus comes again. And so if they know, I can do this for a year. It also allowed for, we'll say, redirection. If this was not the best fit for you, uh, we can redirect your service so that you don't, you're not sitting in a position for three years and not doing what, what needs to be done in that position. Um, and honestly, we found that if people knew, okay, yeah, one more year, I can do one more year, you actually 
get more longevity um, out of your leaders. They're willing to, willing to serve in that way and re-up. Um, okay, for the sake of time, we're going to go... Um, yeah, let's just go to the, the closing encouragement. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, sorry, I'll highlight one more thing. One more thing. Uh, number 13, just because I do want to come back to that. Reminding of mission and vision constantly. Um, why are people obsessed with, with sports and entertainment and, um, and, politi- and politics and everything like that? Why, why do they paint their bodies at sports games and, and go, like, it's because they're looking for belonging, right? Um, and and you, you can give them belonging in Christ, in service to God and their neighbor. You remind them of that, that um, mission constantly. This is obviously Starbucks. Many of you had Howard Schultz's coffee this morning. Um, people want to be part of something larger than themselves. They want to be part of something they'll really be proud of, that they'll fight for, sacrifice for, that they trust. Um, and again, you have, you have that in spades uh, in, in the gospel, right? Um, and then St. Augustine, of course, you've made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in the um, maybe even better than the Howard Schultz quote, right? All right. Um, closing encouragement, I'm not going to show this. I'm just going to say 1 Corinthians 4.2. Now it's required that those who have been given trust must prove faithful. Understand that um, very often people have this idea, leaders have this idea that I need to be the best at this. That's a great desire, but if that keeps you from serving, finally God wants you to give the best to the king with the best he's given you, right? Um, You think of the parable of the talents. I read that parable many, many times, and you think of talents, and you think, uh, sure, that's talking about, that unit is talking about money, um, but when we read it, we think like talents, skills, right? Things like that. I think Professor Brug's take on it is probably my favorite take on the parable. He identified the talents not with those things, but with responsibility. Whenever you were reading the parable of the talents, you always thought, boy, I'd like to be the five-talent person, wouldn't you? I mean, nobody says when they read that parable, man, if I could only be the one-talent person. Like, no. I, I want to be the five talent, right? We, we, of course, want more and more responsibility. And you think about the Christian life and how God develops leaders. Very often we start, in grade school, we might be one talent kind of people. If you think about it in the sense of responsibilities, very little responsibility. And then you get through high school and college and, and you're married and you're, you're gaining more responsibilities. And the more you have and the more you faithfully work with those, God adds even more. Um, and so even if, uh, even if you are maybe not as talented as somebody else or don't have as many responsibilities as someone else, um, you can give your best to the king with the best you've been given. Um, this little video is, is fun about Johnny the Bagger, but we don't have time. I have left a minute for questions. Any questions? <laughs> Any questions? No time. So I'll just I'll leave you with this. God bless you as identify and develop leaders to multiply ministry. Thank you very much, everyone.